Welcome to the Horrible Things Podcast. This is a true crime and disaster podcast where we talk about all things horrible. Whether it be murder, whether it be I survive stories, whether it be robberies, we cover it all. My name is Emma Sexton and I am the host of this podcast and today I'm joined by Andrew Buker and Mallory Churchill. Hello guys, what is up? So, can you guys, wait. Is your mic still? Oh, sorry. There we go. There we go. Okay. I was for a second. I was like, wait, are your mic still meeting? We had some technical difficulties, guys, before this. So we're all a little bit wary right now, just because I'm fearing that something bad is going to happen again. Well, the the problem already happened. So there's usually always one problem that happens in every shoot, whether it's for a podcast or film or anything. So we got out of the way. So we're set. Murphy's Law. Am I right? Exactly. Mallory... I don't know what Murphy's Law is. I was going to say, do you know what Murphy's Law is? Yes. It's like the thing where like anything that can go wrong does go wrong. Something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. It's the motto of my life. And uh, (laughs) usually every time I record the podcast, like you said, at least one thing goes wrong. Like something stupid usually happens. And I'm just like, well... Like losing a okay. microphone and it was like there the whole time. I, right before we started, I was like, guys, I don't know what's happening. I can't find the third microphone. <laughs> like, I just can't find it. And then we look, I look over to the right and it's just sitting right on my nightstand, like right in front of me. And I was like, oh no, I'm losing my mind because finals are next week. <laughs> That's no fun. That's, yeah. So, Andrew, you have been on the podcast before. Yes, I have. You were on a very intense one for the very first topic we ever did. Mm. But Mallory, this is your first time ever being on the show. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So I'm going to ask you the question we ask every single first time guest on this podcast, which is what's your level of knowledge of true crime? Do you love it? Are you super into it? Do you watch like documentaries and podcasts and stuff like that? Or are you completely like I've never cared about true crime, never known anything about true crime. This is like the first I guess, experience you're having with actually covering a case. I mean, I've like watched a few like documentaries and like I've seen NCIS, which doesn't really count. So that's basically all my knowledge. I don't know anything about true crime. I just kind of watch fiction. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually never watched NCIS. I was always more of a Criminal Minds fan. I've never seen Criminal Minds. It's all about psych. Psych's amazing. You rant and rave about psych. It's an amazing show. It's good. It's good. I think I've watched the first season. Yeah, it gets it. It's one of those shows that gets better with time. It's like a, it's one of those cult shows where like the fan base is super dedicated to it, and it's I don't know, it's just a lot of fun because it's not like uh, this NCIS like very serious. It's it's a comedy, and you know, it's, it's like the, the best sh- show. He's like Sherlock Holmes. He is very observant, so as an al well, they the, his alibi wasn't checking out, even though he did, wasn't part of the crime. So he just told the police, well, I'm a psychic. That's how I knew. Because they wouldn't believe that he was just observant. And then that's the premise of the whole show that went on for like a eight lie. or nine years. <laughs> yeah. But Mallory, I wanted to ask, um, are there any particular cases that like you've heard of? Any like, I guess, 
uh, general like really famous cases you've heard of or like killers that you know of ted bundy right ted bundy that's his name mm-hmm. okay yeah um i think that's about it maybe like occasionally no i heard about i watched this one doc- documentary about this lady who like killed her daughter because like she just wasn't ready i guess but she was living with like her grandma something crazy like that and then like she had no responsibility already i don't know it was kind of gross though i that sounds like i've it's never very heard of disgusting. that case. it's very disgusting and i don't i would give you the name if i knew the name but i can't remember i covered an i survived case on the podcast where this one lady tried to steal another lady's baby out of her stomach oh that's a twist i was not expecting that <laughs> yeah, i wasn't either yeah it was crazy like i'd never heard of anything like that these cases where it's like a mother-daughter thing are always so like bizarre i guess to me and so when i was like first reading i was like looking up old i survived episodes i don't know if you ever watched that show when it was out but it, mm, it was no. a great show and um i was looking up old cases and there was one where i was it was like you and it's like oh this woman tried to take this lady's baby because she couldn't get pregnant and then i was like oh that's crazy and then they were like the the woman was nine months pregnant and i was like we got to talk about this because this is absolutely wild. Adoption is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> adoption is an option. That's, I mean, it's just, yeah, I guess I don't know. But that's the thing is like some people's minds just work different. <laughs> it's like, it'll take me three months or actually, I think it's a lot longer. It takes me X amount of time to fill out an application and wait. No, I'm just, I'm just, just steal. Just going to steal a baby. And that was an I survived case? Yeah, so the woman actually, she made it out. Will this case be an I survived? Nope. One, no We're covering a serial killer today. So fun. And it's actually a really long case, so I think we should get started. Because it's kind of like two cases wrapped into one. And I, you guys are chosen for this case in particular for a reason. And I'm very excited for when I say the thing that I know you guys are going to be like, what the heck? I'm really excited for that moment. I'm scared. I'm yeah. Should I be, should I be terrified or just like a little bit of both? Okay, you guys both okay. know about this, but at the same time, like you don't really know about it. I've mentioned it before, but you don't really know about it. And Could I'm going to be a little excited. bit more vague. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just let's just get into it because we're actually kind of covering two cases in a way. Okay, so today we'll be covering the serial killer Carrie Stainer. So he's um, he was born on August 13th, 1961, and when he was 11 years old, like literally only 11 years old, he was molested by his uncle, who he was living with at the time. Now, at the time that he obviously, like, this is absolutely horrible, but it wasn't the main focus of the family at the time, actually, because his brother, Carrie Stainer's brother was named Steven Stainer. And he's actually a bit of a celebrity in a way because he actually was famous for the fact that when he was only seven years old, he was walking home from school in California and he was, this man came up to him and was like, hey, I'm selling like Bibles and church stuff. Um, Do you think your mom would be interested in like donating to the church and this guy just like came up to this kid he's only seven years old walking home and he's like yeah i think my mom would donate and he's like cool get in this car and we're gonna i'll take you to your house and then we can go talk to your mom 
And so Stephen gets in the car because he's like, okay, we'll go talk to my mom, whatever. What he didn't know is that he was getting in the car of Kenneth Parnell, who is already a convicted child rapist at the time. And this is all happening in like the Yosemite area. Like, like if you read articles about this, a lot of the take on the case is actually like, how could something like this happen in Yosemite National Park? Like both guys worked at, at the park and the area right around it like i don't know if you've ever been to mariposa and that whole like community surrounding yosemite but it's like very safe very small so this kind of like rocked everything there just because it was so like brutal you know kidnapping in this like super small town so after steven got into kenneth parnell's car he drove him like uh, two hours away to his cabin in Kathy's Valley. And um, that very first night, Parnell started molesting Stephen, who was only, like I said, seven years old at the time. And after a little over um, a week, he actually raped Stephen. And this was uh, in 1972. Obviously, they did not have the same resources to be able to recover there's no such thing as amber alert yet there's no like ability to track people via phone or anything like that so usually if they couldn't find a child within the first 48 hours of them being gone they kind of assumed that they were dead after that point especially because if you watch john mulaney's special you would know this but um there's in kidnapping they talk about the secondary location that like there's a primary location that's where a child is originally kidnapped from in like the general area where they are right and so the odds of them getting back from the primary location alive are i think somewhere above 50% within the first day but if that kid is moved to a secondary location like this cabin which is like 2 hours away from his home the odds of the child coming back alive are extremely slim like a secondary location is kind of the in cat in kidnapping they s- would start to look at it as more of a homicide after that 48 hours especially if they couldn't find the kid anywhere near the primary location so obviously it's horrible right <laughs> like what this family is going through and this kid this guy kenneth parnell not only was he sexually assaulting and molesting um steven but he changed his name to dennis gregory parnell and he started passing him off as like his son so they would move to different schools like all throughout the counties near Yosemite just so no one would get suspicious with them being there for too long and like I said he would just be like oh this is my son Dennis he's gonna enroll in school here for a while and just like stay here for a couple you know a couple months a year and then move to a new school and he would do that constantly over the next couple years that he kept Stephen Stainer as basically a sex slave this pedophile so Parnell didn't really have like a set job so like I said it was easy for them to move all over the counties and there were often times when Stainer would be left alone because Kenneth Parnell was either working or something like that so one of the things that like his defense would say later in court was like oh well Stephen could have escaped but he didn't want to but he wasn't like aware of how to get help at that point because you have to think about the fact like he's been held by this guy since he was seven years old like it's it's part of his life yeah it's become 
like something that he doesn't know how to escape at this point not to mention like how how would he know where to go you know what i mean so like what it got to the point where like he was basically full-time a part of this life that like was not his life at all like he had a dog that kenneth parnell gave him which was given to him by his mother um there was this woman that kenneth parnell dated um that lived with them for like a little over a year and she also raped steven while they were together and she tried to go kidnap another boy for parnell but was uh thankfully she couldn't and um she like the this is frustrating to me because even though she was so deeply part of it only for a year and like a year and a couple months but still she never got arrested never got convicted for anything so that's frustrating we hate that we hate pedophilia on this show controversial but i'm not a fan (laughs) i happen to agree i'm not a fan either so um when steven stainer started to hit puberty because he had literally been like it had been at this point seven years that he had been a captive of this guy this random dude that pulled him off the street and he was getting a little too old for parnell's taste at only 14 years old so he sent him out to like try to go find other kids to kidnap but he basically told the court that like the reason he never kidnapped another kid was because he purposely sabotaged it because he didn't want another kid to have to go through what he was going through and because you have to think he's being sexually assaulted like for seven years yeah it's horrible so um on February 14th, 1980, he uh, he finds that this other kid has come into the house. His name is Timothy White, and he's only five years old. And so when Parnell is away doing his job, like I said, he often left Stephen alone. Stephen is like, no, 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 no. Can't let another kid. Like his big motivation was, I won't let another kid go through what I've gone through. So he grabs White and they hitchhike into the main town, which was called Yukia. And um, he obviously had no idea where he was or what to do. So what he did was he was like, okay, Timmy White was this kid's name. He was like, Timmy, you're going to walk into the police station and you're going to tell them what's happened. But before they, he could send the kid in to go tell the police what was going on, the police saw the two of them and actually detained both because they had been looking for Timmy White since they were still in the town that he had been kidnapped from. So they like obviously see the kid they've been looking for and they grab both of them because they originally thought that Stephen had kidnapped Timmy White. But um, when they started like asking him questions, it wasn't obviously much before he just explained everything that happened, told them his true identity and like the world found out that this kid who had been gone for seven years was still alive obviously not in great circumstances and going through a lot of trauma but he was still alive and so then the police start looking into kenneth parnell because they're like who is this person and how can we get him to not be here (laughs) not be able to kidnap kids anymore And so they look into his um, past. They see, obviously, that he already has one child rape conviction. Um, And so eventually he is tried and they find him guilty of kidnapping in the two different trials. Um, But this is 1980. And talking about male sexual abuse is not really a thing. So they do not charge him for any counts of sexual assault. That's awful. That's disgusting. Why? Mm -hmm. 
and the um prosecutors talked about i think there's like one interview where the prosecutors talked about they were doing it for steven's good because they didn't want him to seem like quote damaged goods and i was like if i was his parents i would deck you in the face like not saying violence is an answer to anything but you're really gonna tell me that child rape makes someone damaged goods like get out you should not be prosecuting you should because that's not justice like you're not it's so frustrating to me like this whole situation because you just think like and oh and you guys are gonna hate this too so he goes to jail in 1980 and in 1985 he's released from prison he was in jail for less time than he held steven stainer captive so what were the charges exactly that he... Two counts of kidnapping. Uh, that's it? That was all. What Stephen deserves is justice. Yeah. What Timmy deserves is justice. The families deserve justice. And, and nobody saw that. No, nobody saw. And like him going to jail for five years, like you can't... What? He already had a child rape conviction. Then he goes back and he kidnaps another kid. Then he spends seven years sexually assaulting that kid. Then he kidnaps another kid. You put him in jail for five years and he comes out. What do you think he's going to do? Do it again. Like, clearly he's shown that he doesn't break a pattern. So what, like, you just care more about the, of, like, keeping up an image or some sort of, like, twisted thing saying someone's damaged goods. You care more about protecting their reputation than protecting other kids from sexual assault. Like, screw you. Ugh. Ugh. It's disgusting. It's just going to happen again and again and again. And in my opinion, pedophiles, like, that's like, you can't sink lower. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to sink lower. It's just, he should have been in prison for life. Yeah. He deserved more than that. In my opinion, people that rape other people should be castrated, so. Well, yes. Yes. Mallory's <laughs> <laughs> like, it clap. Yes. <laughs> no, it's just like. It, it literally boggles the mind of how you could like possibly consider that justice or like how you could walk away from that case and be like, wow, we did a great job here today. He's going to jail. Like we did a fantastic thing. And then be like five years later, just like, oh, just kidding. I mean, justice was served. Like, no, <laughs> it was not. It was not, it's not served. Like five years is going to rehabilitate someone who has no. a history of repeatedly doing these things. And it's like, bro they're children they're children like of course he's going to be able to manipulate these kids like you're really gonna ugh, it makes me so mad like i was literally sitting in my in my bed earlier when i was like reading about this i was just freaking boiling with anger because i was like why is the justice system so wrong sometimes how can you just like decide to not charge someone for sexual assault and like and like me being someone who works with children, like, that breaks my heart. Like, children are, like, where my passion is at. And, like, that just breaks my heart. Like, absolutely breaks it. Yeah. I would imagine. Because you think about, like, just for everyone who doesn't know, Mallory works in the nursery at a church. And so, it's just, like, five is so young. You five know? is very young. I even volunteer with five-year-olds, six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. And... Nobody at any age should have to go through that. But imagine the child's mental state. Yeah. Like a, a grown adult like can't go through that sometimes. Like some people just can't. And imagine a child going through that. Yeah. Like especially when, yeah, especially when those things happen during development. It just ruins them for 
for their entire life because that's when you build your worldview. That's what you you build all who the foundation are. for who you're going to be for the rest of your life. Just in these few years when you're a preteen and teen, it's so influential for your future. Yeah. Ugh, it literally disgusts me. But um, so Stephen Stainer luckily was able to go home um, in 1980. Him, both him and Timmy Way were able to go home. And he lived, um, he was 14 years old when he returned home. And he lived happily for 10 years before, in 1989, he was killed in a motorcycle accident when he was only 24 years old. It's like, that's a tough life. That's a real tough life. So he got molested for seven years, right? Seven, that's the total? Mm -hmm. So he got molested for seven years and then dies at 24 so he only had 10 years to really live his life yeah wow it's like tragic it's obviously like really very very tragic and um some even it was suspected that it might have been a um like a purposeful accident to try to hide it try to hide what that no that he purposefully got in a motorcycle accident because that he wasn't able to adjust to like it kind of like what you're saying he wasn't able to adjust very well to normal life after what he'd been through obviously like that makes sense so some people think he just killed himself to get over get like to handle it yeah and because you have to think about the fact in 1980 like there wasn't very adequate resources especially for men who'd been through, like, sexual trauma. It was more of a, like, just shove it under the rug and be normal instead of a let's go through rehabilitation and, like, make something of your life. You know what I mean? And he got married and he lived for, like, those 10 years, but still it was just, like, he obviously was robbed of so much. Mm-hmm. Five years in prison. Ugh, disgusting. If you take someone or ruin someone's life, I, I think you forfeit your right to have your own. And it's like if you ruin someone's life to the point where they can they can barely function a normal life, or if you take someone's life away, you don't deserve to be living on, on your own. I don't know. That that's just my opinion. Like, you I need agree. The death if sentence. they can't value life, why should we value theirs? Yeah. And that guy, Kenneth Parnell, was actually arrested again in 2003 for trying to traffic a child. And he... Did he get that time? He got... He was in prison until 2008 where he died in jail just from old age. But, like, literally, they they let him out of jail and then he... He did it did again. It again. Like, smart people. <laughs> I could have told them that. Yeah. But that's... And like I said, that that isn't even the main case we're covering. That is just me telling you that is the brother, the history of the brother of the person whose case we're covering. This is all exposition. This is all exposition. <laughs> that entire like case, that's exposition. This is the opening crawl to the podcast. <laughs> that was a really, really long opening crawl. So um, Carrie Stainer, who's Stephen Stainer's brother, um, obviously was happy when his brother came back but there were also some weird interview clips i saw where it's like him talking about how he was bummed he was gonna have to share his room again and stuff like that like really weird things that you would not expect someone to say about when their brother finally gets back from kidnapping but 
Carrie Stainer was kind of just always a little bit of an odd kid. And he did actually say, though, that he his uncle molested him when he was 11 years old. Um, but when he was a lot older, obviously, in 1997, uh, he was hired by Cedar Lodge in the Yosemite area, like Yosemite Valley area, um, to do odd jobs. He was like a handyman for this inn because he didn't really have any other like particular skills or things that he was like stoked on doing. But even before the murders we're going to talk about, he always said that he wanted to kill people. Like he said in an interview that he had had the urge to kill people since he was seven years old. And that feeling just kind of built up till he knew that he was going to kill someone. And he created like this murder kit that he kept with him that had like duct tape, screwdrivers, rope. And he used his job at the inn to find Carol Sund and her daughter, Julie Sund, as well as a foreign exchange student who was staying with them. They were on vacation in Yosemite. Sylvina Palazzo, uh, they were all staying at the inn that he worked at. And he spotted them by looking through the windows of their room in order to, like, see them. And in the beginning, he was actually, like, before he saw them in the inn, he was planning on... he talked about the fact that he wanted to kill his ex-girlfriend and her 8- and 11-year-old daughters. But when he went to her house initially to try to murder her and her daughters, there was a male, um, like, housekeeper on her property, which was huge, like, several acres. So he backed off and, like, decided... He, like, he was terrified of men in general. I thought you were describing the man because you said the man is huge <laughs> and then you used the word acre and just my mind froze for a second. <laughs> That's no, but a very large man. He um like he was terrified of men. He mostly targeted like a mother and daughters or like like anyone in a fam in a familial pairing, but it had to be all, all women, girls. no men present. Like if there was a man present, even just like on the property in general, not even near, he wouldn't what do about, anything. Like a little boy. No. No, nothing. No. And no how men. old was he when Stephen was kidnapped? He was a few years older than Stephen, so I believe when he got back, he was like seventeen. Oh gosh. So it's not. It's, so it's like a psychological thing, not just fear of someone who's who's e- equally or, or strong, equally as strong or stronger than him. It's just men in general, regardless of age. Yeah, any man. And it, you could probably say that has something to do with his brother. I, I was just thinking that something having to do with a man yeah, st- kidnapping his brother, maybe. Did, or the fact that a man th- molested him. There but, you go, yeah. Yeah, and it's just... The way you value life, if, if you experience loss as a kid and then it comes back, there's just so much emotion. Like when you're... It, someone who was lost, someone who was dead to them, like they, they thought he was, was gone forever, comes back, especially as a a kid or a young adult that just kind of can can throw someone off and right. they, they don't understand the value of life sometimes and i think that really got to carry well the thing is though even though like carrie sander had all this in his past and when police actually like later will interview him and talk to him they would try to say that oh well did you feel like these murderous tendencies because of the situation with your brother obviously like people knew about everything that had happened and then that's when he actually said, no, I've been feeling murderous urges since I was seven. And his brother wasn't even kidnapped until he was 11 years old. So it didn't like add up. He kind of just was born this way. So it's something that was already wrong, but probably all these events just kind of was, was a catalyst to that. Born kinda. a psychopath. basically. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, on February 15th, 1999, he knocked on the door of um, Sylvia Peloso and Carol Sund and her daughter Jewel Sund. Um, and he knocked on their door and said, hey, I'm here to fix the bathroom fan. And then they were like, we didn't ask anyone to like come fix anything. And he was like, oh, I know. But like management sent me because there was a problem with this. Because remember, he was a handyman at that hotel. And then they were like, no, we don't want to let you in. But then he was like, do you want me to go get the manager? And then she was like, no, it's fine. You can just come in then. Because basically he was like showing, oh, I'm willing to like go get a higher authority to show you that I actually am supposed to be here, you know. I would have been like, yes, I don't want you in my room. Yeah. But obviously they didn't know that. No. So. so as soon as he gets in the room, he pulls out a twenty-two caliber pistol and then he tells all of them to lie face down on their on the bed that was in the room. And he ties their hands down and he gags them and then he takes um Sil- I always mess up her name when I say Sylvia, but it's Sylvina. He takes Sylvina and uh Jewel in and Julie into the bathroom and then he strangles Carol Sund with the one of the pieces of rope that he had in his bag and he even talked about later in the police interview he said quote I didn't realize how hard it is to strangle a person because it took a long time for him to strangle her while these two girls are waiting in the bathroom yes because it was his first murder even though it may not have been his first murder, but we'll get to that later. I think you have to be an absolute psychopath to describe something like that. Just like, just so nonchalantly. It's like, yeah, it took a lot, a lot longer than I expected. Well, he also it's said, disgusting. quote, it was like performing a task. Like he literally had no feeling about this whatsoever. So he, he strangles Carol's son while her daughter is sitting in the bathroom and then he puts her into the trunk of the rental car that they had at puts the time. Carol in the trunk. He puts Carol in the trunk. And then he cuts the clothes off of the two young girls who oh, are in the bathroom. No, 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 One, no. The youngest of them being only 15 years old. That's Julie. Uh, and then he tried to get them to have sex with each other in the bathroom. But obviously, like, they wouldn't do that because they were so terrified by everything that was going on. And he apparently became frustrated because Silvino, who, by the way, was a foreign exchange student who was staying with her friend for the weekend, not a part of their family. She was just staying there for the weekend with them. Uh, He became frustrated by the fact that she was crying so much. So he took her into um, the bathroom of the room next door and he strangled her while she was in the bathtub. Why do you always have me on for the the horrible evil cases, like the worst ones? (laughs) Because you can handle it. This is my first one. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting this. They're not all this terrible, but there's a reason you guys are here. But um, then, like I said, he um, put her in the bathtub and then strangled her also. And then he grabbed Sylvina and he put her in the trunk with Carol. Uh, Then while he went back. Was she still alive? No, they're both dead. They were both dead. Julie, uh, the 15 year old daughter, is the only one who's alive at this point. And he goes back into the motel room that the family was staying in originally. And uh, he then sexually assaults Julie, uh, who he was 37 at the time. She was only 15. And he didn't want her to see Sylvina's body. So he left her on a bed um, while she was tied up. He put TV on and then he just he brought her he brought her into the other room, tied her up to the bed 
and then he cleaned the crime scene so well that when the FBI got there, they like there was no sign of foul play. Like he even brushed the hair off the bed sheets. And the FBI was like, why'd you do that? And he was like, I saw it on the Discovery Channel when he was watching true crime shows. That one of the ways they could find people was hair on bed sheets. So well, if you have thoughts of killing people, just stop watching all, not only this podcast, but all in the genre, please. I never think about the fact that people who actually want to kill people like true crime too. It's weird. It's, it's two worlds connecting. The people who, who hate murder and the people who love it. Yeah, concerning. But basically, Stainer did this because he just wanted control. Like, when he was in the police interview, he talked about how he felt like he was finally in control of something in his life. And so, eventually, when it's like 4 a.m., so now it's the 16th, he puts Julie into the passenger seat of his car. She doesn't know that her mom and friend are dead in the trunk of that same car. But he puts her in the car. She's got only a blanket on. Other than that, she's completely naked. And he drives away in this rental car. She's in the passenger seat. The room looks like no one had lived there. Like there's no signs of foul play. And he just drives like way out of the way. He drives like for a long time. And on the way like. um. So Julia was like smart. <laughs> and she told she didn't want to tell him her actual name. So he told uh, she told him that his name her name was Sarah. And so on the drive, like they were talking, obviously, because he was like a crazy person and wanted to speak with her. And he said that he started to like her. And she said that she was, quote, very calm. And so he like he's a crazy person. And so he believed that he'd fallen in love with her while he was on the drive with her. And he had sexually assaulted her in the other room. And he believed that it was like out of love that he was supposed to be with her. She's only 15 years old and he's almost 40. So since it was about to be light outside, like I said, he started driving at 4 a.m. He turns off of the road at Lake Don Pedro and he oh. carries Julie <laughs> up a dirt path to a small clearing that overlooks the lake. And he told her, quote, I wish I could keep her. Oh. Then he sexually assaulted her again right on the clearing and he said that he put her hair out beneath her head and told her that he loved her. And then she, he said that he didn't want her to suffer like the other two had. So he slit her throat and then left. Instead of strangling her. True love right there. Was that the yes. twist? That was the twist. Because ladies and gentlemen, every year our church takes the high school group up to Lake Don Pedro for our summer getaway i remember i this is memory time uh, like two years ago you're like i don't want to go someone was murdered at lake don pedro is was this that, the same story that, this is that story yes so this is I the, this is the reason why you were paranoid we were 15 year old julie lund was murdered by a serial killer at lake don pedro so this episode has been two years in the making this episode <laughs> Yes, exactly. And both of you have been to Lake Don Pedro and you have swam in the very lake lake, where this woman was killed right in front of. Did they find her body? Eventually, but she wasn't in the lake. But there have been, if you look at the history of Lake Don Pedro, there's been several times they had the FBI sent scuba divers into the lake to dredge it for bodies because people commit suicide near Lake Don Pedro quite often and throw themselves into the lake. And there have been multiple bodies found in the water. Not to mention, clearly, this is 
absolutely horrible and a young 15 year old girl was literally murdered at the at a place right near the campsites so i'm obviously you could see now why i was reluctant to go to lake don pedro (laughs) knowing this fact knowing that a creepy freaking serial killer slit the throat of a young girl next to the place that we were going to be camping it was a no from me chief i'm kind of relieved with this reveal because i thought it was going to be like oh yeah and by the way turns out it was your friend or dad <laughs> or something i thought it was going to be someone we knew i thought it was going to be but uh, how do you feel i don't know it's did like did you know did you think that the murder i was talking about was this bad no, no, I thought it was just going to be like, oh, this guy mindlessly kills a bunch of people. Yeah. Like, just serial killer stuff. Kill, kill, kill. Not torture people and sexually assault. Sexually assault right yeah. next to, like, Don Pedro. I, I I thought what Andrew was thinking, like, oh, it's just, like, killed. Murder. Like, I shot them in the head. You know what I mean? Like, regular psycho. That actually, serial killers usually don't do that. They don't. No, they that tip. Shows they, a lot of them are sexual sadists. Well, that shows my knowledge about true crime. But, yeah. How do you feel about Lake Don Pedro now? Will you ever look at it the same when you no. go sleep on those grounds? <laughs> Never. I, I don't know if I'm just sick, but it's like, I don't know. I, I don't think it changed anything because I was already there in the water. And I was already like camping there. I don't know. It's like, it's like... Uh, Things like that happen everywhere, and if we're scared to go to places where bad things happen or like have happened once, no, not everyone gets murdered by a serial killer everywhere. This is incorrect. <laughs> it happened just in our in our city in our neighborhood. Like uh, I think it was like two or three years ago. There was oh, a murder yeah. suicide in our city. <laughs> you just dox us. I did. There was a murder suicide in our city, but I don't think there were any serial killings. I would have known about that. <laughs> just yeah, just, we, we would know about that part. But oh my gosh, my heart is racing and my stomach is churning. And right you are now. gonna go there this summer. Oh, maybe not can, now. <laughs> <laughs> now you see, I just don't like like I I couldn't because the whole time I was there, I know I would just be thinking about that. You should have you should invited you should have invited our pastor on here so so he can. So I could say, why would you take children to Lake Don? No, I'm sure it's beautiful. I mean, both of you have been there. Is it? It great? is beautiful. Yeah, but I mean, now it's, okay. it, it's not. It's not where we used to go. But now your experience will always be tainted by knowing that a 15 year old girl was murdered right near where you were camping. You're welcome. <laughs> That's not fun. Well, yeah. and it gets even more like this case actually gets even more crazy. Obviously, we can all agree Carrie Stainer is uh, what you would call the worst, like just absolute piece of crap. But um, he went back actually two days later. He okay, so that night, like he gets a cab and he takes the money that he stole from Carol Lund and he gets out of there. But then he comes back to the site where he left her rental car and he drives like 40 miles away from the scene and then he burnt the car that had the two bodies in it and he wrote on the um on the hood of the car like in the ash we have sarah because remember julie lund had told him that her name was sarah so it was like uh, i think it was two weeks or a month before they actually found this burned 
rental car because it was literally just like on a random dirt road and they found the two um bodies and it was obviously all over the news like found two bodies in this car and so when he saw it on the news carrie steiner then later sent in a map like a crudely drawn map to the police that said we had fun with this one obviously alluding to the two who, who he called sarah alluding to julie and so they were able to find her body near the lake because of the map that he sent to the police so does he want a game out of this does he want to tease the police does he want attention yeah what does he want like, out of this i feel like the only reason to do that is to is to leave the police dangling and play games yeah i think that it's it was kind of like the zodiac killer like he wanted everyone to know it's just that serial killer complex of like he thought he was so smart he cleaned up the crime scene so perfectly no one like he went back he moved the car he burned the, like he thought he was clearly putting like we had fun we blah 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 because he wanted it to not be so obvious that it was just this one crazy guy but he mm -hmm. wanted the police to know that he was smarter that's what he wanted he's like you can't find me and i'm right in front of you i think that cockiness uh like gets the best of them. I feel like if he didn't, if like if maybe if he didn't do that, if he wasn't such a cocky dude who's like, oh, I, I'm gonna outsmart these guys. I just want to, I want to make a game. See how far I can take this. He he might have gotten away. They with They never right? would have found him yeah. if it wasn't for the next murder that he committed. They never would have found him because he was so oh, thorough next. in cleaning up the crime scene. And yes, there is another murder. So in July. In July of 1999, so all these murders take place within 1999, like in a couple months span. It's like a very, very fast turnaround for someone who's never committed murder in their life before. Like uh, in July of 1999, there's this woman named Joey Armstrong and she's a naturalist in Yosemite. So she like lives in this cabin in like the wilderness and just fends for herself. She's like completely into like being one with nature and the day that she was supposed to meet up with her, the day that she was killed, she was supposed to meet up with her friends to go hiking. But when she didn't show, uh, the police were called and they went to her cabin in the park and they found like that there had clearly been some sort of a struggle. So they start like looking around, seeing what's going on. And they go to the river, which was near her house. And it's at the river that they find footprints and tire treads. And they also find her body laying by the river. And 10 feet so away... smart for this one. 10 feet away, they find her head. So did he did he dump her body into the river? N and then it got he did, carried. and then it got carried out. We talked about this last time I was on the podcast. Stop throwing bodies in rivers, it always turns up. Like, it, <laughs> we did it, talk about that last time. It's like, you throw a body in a river, it's not where you left it, but it's going to be somewhere. Mallory, are you okay? I feel like I'm going to throw up. That's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, so, all of this has been disgusting. Don't get me wrong. But like... So wow. like I was saying, they would have never found the killer if it wasn't for this murder. Because Joey Armstrong, she was a badass and a freaking fighter. She put up a fight against him. Because he shows up at her house, basically, and is like, can I come in? She's like, no. And then he kind of like attacks her while she's putting stuff in her trunk to go on this like hiking trip and he's just like a, you know like attacking this girl and she he has a gun and she's like punching at him trying to pull his hair like she's struggling with him and that's why it took like so long in a struggle all the way down to the river 
that he said he didn't want to decapitate her but he did because things got so intense and so heated in the fight that he ended up decapitating her and um the reason that he wasn't able to like the other crime scene completely clean it up and like cover his footprints and cover the tire treads is because he didn't have enough time because she put up such a fight like she she wanted to live it's just like obviously really tragic so the fbi starts looking for witnesses and there's actually someone who is able to describe what carrie stainer looked like and give his car which was a match to the one that uh the tire treads that they found so they knew what kind of car they were looking for and in the previous murder carrie stainer had been a witness because he was on duty that night he was on the clock they knew he was like working there but the police didn't even look twice at him and Actually, Carrie Stainer knew this time that, like, he hadn't been able to pause. I need to grab a charger really quick. I know it's bad time, but what? He hasn't been able to. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yo, it's it's right after you coughed. (laughs) I don't know if that helps. That's a sick shirt. You were talking about your. David it for you. were talking about your your thing for like the the kit that he had. It it was there's a lot of. Time. Then there was one more. There's all the times where you did that. There was a bunch of quiet space after. Yeah. 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 Oh. Oh. I thought. Oh my goodness. I thought you blew into it, and I. Are you gonna tell the scary story down here? Uh, yes. What? Scary campfire stories. I can't think of scary, <laughs> scary campfire stories. No, no, no. Like, what we'll say at, whatchamacallit. Oh, at Don Pedro? Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say we should talk about, like, the campfire of Don Pedro right now. That's funny, because a lot happened this year. It did? Oh. <laughs> it did. It did. It did. That's all you get, Emma. Ready? You're not at all I think curious. she knows. You know. I think she knows. She you knows. got exposed, and that's why you're dating yeah. Hope. I do know that. Well, no, because I was already... Who exposed you again? No, Michael. It was just exposed it to everyone else because oh, Hope oh, and I were already talking. Yeah. And Michael was like... Because we were, we were roasting time... Johnny Schmidt because he's the most roastable person. And then <laughs> someone... Jeremiah stands up and goes, Buker, you get in that chair. And I sat in that <laughs> chair and I took my lumps. And first of all, I was so adamant in putting on my sunscreen because I didn't want to get burned. And then Kyle goes up and is like, when is it Buker? I got summer. And I'm like, no, I didn't. I didn't. And you're, you're not funny. That's what I, I said that to him on stage. But then Michael came up wearing a suit and he goes, my name's Andrew Buker and I love Hope Goebel. And then everyone just started roaring. I like, started crying because I think only me and Will knew like that you guys talked about it. Yeah. Like it, it, the word kind of spread. Zach knew. Zach, Zach Mo- knew. And Zach was recording the whole thing. He has guys, a- we have to talk about this after we record Sorry. the podcast. We need uh, to get this thing this is more- going because otherwise <laughs> this bad boy is going to be like a two hour song. <laughs> two parter. Okay. Okay. I'm like actually starving. I'm like actually very hungry. So Carrie Stainer knew that he didn't have enough time uh, to clean up the crime scene. He knew that it wasn't as clean as what he'd done before. So therefore, he felt the need to like run. So he actually uh, went to Laguna del Sol, which I would hope neither of you know about, or I would guess neither of you know about what this is. It's actually a nudist colony in California. Fun. So. <laughs> 
Um, and actually, there's this fantastic article I read. I think it's by ABC. And the title of it is literally like, How a Nudist Colony Helped Catch a Serial Killer. Because one of the people in the nudist camp recognized Carrie Stainer because they put a bolo out on him. So his face was all over the TV because they were obviously looking for him. And so... And they wanted him just as, like, a witness and to question him. He wasn't, like, the perfect suspect. They weren't, like, 100% like, this is our guy. They just wanted to talk to him. So one of these people who's a nudist recognizes him and then calls the police. And then the FBI is already involved at this point. And so they, uh, when they call, like, the they would all, a lot of the people in this nudist camp would hang out in this one diner. And that's where they had seen Carrie Stainer. So the owner of the diner, uh, the fbi called him and they were like is he gonna be there and then he was like yeah and you'll know him because he's the only one wearing clothes <laughs> so they walk into this diner everyone is nude except carrie stainer who's sitting in the corner and they go up to him and they're like okay kid you're coming with us and they take him out of this nudist colony and they bring him in for questioning imagine being clothed and feeling like the odd man out in that situation <laughs> it's like man that would it be weird if I just take off my clothes now? <laughs> but um, they take so they take him back to like question him and see what what do you what do you know about this? But they also notice that his car is the same one as the tire treads found at Joey Armstrong's crime scene. And so when they get into questioning, it takes zero time, and Stainer just goes, "I will confess in exchange." for in exchange for, quote, a good-sized stack of child pornography. Like, literally, he goes to the FBI person and he's like, I want child pornography or I'm not going to confess. And they were like, one, what the hell is wrong with you? Two, we weren't even looking for you as our main suspect and now you just told us you're going to confess to the murder. So, okay. And so, basically, he confesses to everything because they're kind of questioning him and slowly getting it all out of him they don't give him any child pornography which i feel like goes without saying but they did not they kind of just coaxed it all out of him slowly and it didn't take long after he confessed to joey armstrong's murder for him to start talking about the other three murders that he had committed because it was that thing of like he was like i'm so smart i need someone to know how smart i was and how good my skills at planning this murder were even though, like, that's the thing that gets him caught, obviously. So, uh, November 30th, 2000, he pleads guilty to the murder of Joey Armstrong, but he also, but then when he actually gets to court, he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. Um, however, he is questioned by a psychiatrist who determines that he is sane enough to stand trial. And so in 2002, the trial is still dragging on. He asks for new jurors because none of them were molestation victims. And he believed that was important to his case. Like he was basically using the he was saying the fact that he was molested as a child was really important to the murder trials. Um, judge. It was like a very emotional trial because of the gruesome nature of all of the crimes. Judges even started crying during this trial because his confession like the day that he went in and confessed to joint armstrong's murder he gave a detailed account of everything that happened and they played the tapes in court and like when they would play it he would put his hands over his ears and like start screaming because he just couldn't listen to what he had said and like judges would start crying it was just really like an emotional trial and like 
I don't know. To me, it seems like if you li- I listen to a bit of his confession and when he's talking, he sounds stone cold, like just doesn't care. Couldn't give less of a crap about anything he's saying. But then when he's actually in the court, I think he was playing it up either for one, so that he could look more insane and get off or two, for the sake of the jurors. But he just wanted the reaction. He wanted he wanted the story of it to go out. Right? Yeah, but he didn't want to hear it again. But um, December 12th, 2002. Actually, what day? So this comes out December 3rd. It will be nine days till the anniversary of the day that Carrie Stainer was sentenced to death. Um, And like this goes out December 3rd. So he was sentenced to death December 12th of 2002. So he's sentenced to death in San Quentin. And he was in like a mental hospital for a little bit, but as of right now, he's still on death row. He's still alive in San Quentin in California. Um, However, he is probably not going to be executed for a very long time because there have been no executions in the state of California since 2006. Um, And also our current governor does not want to put anyone to death while he is the governor. So it seems that Carrie Stainer will probably be alive for a lot more time, but he is still never getting out of jail, uh, despite that. And the victims of uh, the Sun—I called them the Lund family a couple times, but I meant Sun. Uh, the Sun family actually got a million dollars in a settlement from the Cedar Lodge Motel because of incompetence in keeping their guests safe. So that is the obviously terrible horrifying and very very sad um case of the of carol sund julie sund um and just like joey armstrong and it's it's sylveon like it's just so there's so many people in such a short amount of time and it's just so tragic like because this guy just wanted to kill people for the sake of killing people and it just makes you frustrated i just hate hearing things that are like oh yeah they did this and it's okay because this happened when they were little no that happened and like that's sad like that sucks that he was molested but that doesn't give him a like a reason an explanation why he did that you know what i mean it explains why he may have been stupid like that but all at the same time like that doesn't mean it's right that doesn't mean any of that is right he still did something wrong. Exactly. And uh, and this is an interesting thing. I had to do a research report on this for English. But it's like, you know, the, the we always hear about the serial killer gene, like in, in the media, like, oh, he had the gene that leads to serial killers. Like, And the only time that having that gene leads to, or one of the, one of the genes that, that leads to that, to being a psychopath or psychopathic killer, is you have to experience something really traumatic, very traumatic as a kid before puberty or or like during the beginning of puberty in order for it to take effect. And and so like I think just all these times like he would already had like a predisposition to want to commit these horrible acts and like he was the mind of he had the mind of a serial killer with all these things going on like he should have just I don't know that where I was going with that, but it's just interesting how it all the, it all kind of adds up. Adds up, yeah. Where it's like all the different dominoes were lined up in order for him to become. Uh, we don't know if he had this thing, but I feel like a lot of the times where 
you have that and experience these traumatic things that leads you to have the predisposition to commit these horrible acts. And also I forgot to mention that um, I said earlier that it might not have been his first murder because his uncle was actually shot with his own gun while uh, Carrie Sainer was living in his house. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. he was older. Carrie was older at the time, but this was like years before the son murders. Like he, it's not confirmed, but people suspect that Carrie's first murder might have been murdering his, his uncle. uncle. Did they suspect that it wasn't a suicide when no. it happened, was or it, was it? Yeah, like, they did. So they thought that something's off. So it, yeah, okay. They thought it was some sort of a break, and I think. But, yeah, I don't know. This case is just tragic because it's so, like, the part that always gets to me is just, like, two, I guess two things. One, his family. Like, how can so much tragedy strike one family? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, imagine one of your sons is kidnapped for seven years and then dies at 24 years old. And then your other son is a serial killer. Like, that's just... What are the odds of that happening? And like, okay, like me having two brothers, like just thinking about like something like that happening, like that's hard for me as a sister, but like my parents having to go through that, like it'd probably be insane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Was there anything, like, sorry. No, you're fine. Go. Uh, oh, was there anything with his parents where like they, to line all these things up or like they abusive parents or anything or were they just. No, they weren't abusive. The, like that we know of but it's uh like, he said that they were neglectful once steven was kidnapped but so it, it so again it's like things. it it wasn't like they were abusing him it was just mm-hmm. that they suffered the loss of their child they mm-hmm. thought that steven was dead and you, so they became a little bit like they became withdrawn do you think if they if if things have gone differently, like if he was an only child or if, if that didn't happen to his brother, do you think the outcome would be different? Do you no. think if, if his because parents gave him that support structure in, as a child and were able to provide for them and able to like say, oh, he wants to, he says he wants to kill people. Let's maybe take him to a therapist. Well, he started I doing that when he was seven years old. And, and his he didn't brother- tell his parents about it. So I don't think it would have been any different. Because he still would have gone through the traumatic experience of his uncle molesting him, plus already having murderous urges, and that kind of created... He had those the, when he was seven, but his brother wasn't kidnapped till he was 11, right? Kind of what yeah. I, what okay. I really meant to say is that like, if his parents would have provided that support structure that he said he missed, missed out on and he was neglected after his, uh, they thought his brother died, um, do you think that those thoughts of murder would just go away? Because I know so- sometimes... I think that they like, can. Yeah, because I know certain things like compulsive thoughts. A lot of people experience compulsive thoughts as a kid, but then they they grow out of it and they're no longer burdened by like these thoughts that they can't control going into their head. Mostly, I think that's because they get help. Yeah, there was... Yeah. When my friend went to... um, She actually went to a mental hospital for uh, like... Obviously, she had like pretty severe mental illness. And when she was there, um, she actually was like in a group therapy session with a girl who was um i think she was like 16 17 years old and she was in there for homicidal thoughts like she wanted to kill people and so she was in a mental hospital getting help and i think that a hundred percent if you have those resources available and like kids were open to talking about hey i have homicidal thoughts this isn't normal if that more people did that i'm sure that it would definitely be beneficial but i also think that 
there's only so much you can do. Like right. if someone has homicidal thoughts for 30 years, they're going to they're going to do something. They're going to do something. Yeah. If there's a will, there's a way. Like they're going to figure out something. Yeah, it's just Yeah, it's I I agree with that. I think it's just to like at a certain point, like he even said, it boiled up until he knew he was going to kill someone. And it's like I don't know how therapy uh maybe when he was a kid but i don't know how any therapy could have helped him after that especially like once you consider killing your girlfriend and her eight and eleven year old daughters like i pretty much feel that there's almost no hope for you like if you go to her house intending to kill an eight-year-old i don't know what how you could be helped as soon as it gets past the point where like you have if you have the thought and you're like no that as soon as it gets past that point where you're like well, maybe if if you if, if you start planning it or if you like get things ready, you get supplies. I think that's the point where it's like that. That's where it turns into an actual problem, not just like invasive thoughts that are out of your control. Like I want to I want to kill him or or just whatever it may be that's plaguing your mind. As soon as you like meditate on that and stay there voluntarily, I mean that that's just a switch. Yeah, and I guess it's just different because I mean I I know I've thought before like oh my gosh like with my sister I'm like oh like a killer right now but I wouldn't but I would you never actually, actually kill consider her. killing her or anyone for that matter it's like I could it's just different because I think when most people think oh I could kill that person they don't l- literally mean it you don't ever actually like I never think about actually killing someone because the thought is disturbing to me. Well, like, but also, I feel like if you're if you f- look at someone, you're like, I could kill you, and you actually mean it. It's like, I I don't know how you rewire someone's brain from that. And like this guy, he didn't even want to kill someone because he hated them. He wanted to kill them because he didn't know them and he just wanted to. Yeah, it's not even like he got mad. It's just he was mad. Yeah, there was no cause. It was just like I want to kill because I want to kill. It wasn't right. I want to kill the because nightmare. they wronged me. Yes. It's a nightmare of the nameless, faceless stranger coming into your room and just ruining everything. Like, that is the that is the true crime nightmare, in my opinion. It's like, there's this... I remember the first case I ever heard about that, like, deeply scarred me was this guy... I wonder if I'll ever cover this. It's called... Uh, he's, like, called the doorknob killer, I think, or something. But basically, oh. what he would do is he would literally just walk around a neighborhood and try people's doors. And if it was unlocked, he would just go in and murder everyone in the house. And that's, like that was the first one where I was just like deeply scarred because I was like, there's no, no rhyme, no reason. Did nobody have like a ring or anything? (laughs) This was a while ago. Highly. I've heard of that actually. We do. Ring has not sponsored me, but, uh, (laughs) use offer code. We (laughs) we support, uh, home security on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, at least I think that like, it's good now that there are so many resources. People are so cautious now. Yeah. Before I came here, my ring just went off. And then I was like, what's going on? I was home alone. So I went to the door. Nothing was there. And and then I saw the reflection of my dog in the door, and that scared me. But nothing was there. (laughs) And then I checked the app, and it was just nothing. And I was like, whoa. I saw the creepiest thing ever. This guy went up to someone's ring and just started licking it. Oh, 
Dude. Like just outside someone's door, just started licking it. I don't know if that one if that makes me want to laugh or like just cry. I that saw, sounds so terrifying. Th- there's just one guy. I think it's in California. I, I saw this on YouTube. It was it was this news report, and this guy wears a TV on his head and like all black, and he just leaves TVs on people's doorsteps with no rhyme or reason, and they're they're not like figuring anything. They're all like working TVs. So they're just like old school tube TVs, and, and like the just everyone just who they were interviewing is like yeah i don't really care it's just kind of weird like i I turned on my ring in the morning and there's just a man with the tv on his head (laughs) yeah i don't know i think home security good being cautious good you never know like who is definitely being prepared yeah Mm -hmm. be prepared all prepared to to have a plan get out of your house yes or out of anywhere for that matter yes and if someone wants to get into your house at a weird hour or see gives you even the slightest bit of like ooh, this is something's off bolt slam the door in their face because what's the worst grab that can your happen? phone if you can if you don't have time but grab your phone maybe it like i don't know a pocket knife if you have one and run call the police as you're running drive away get the thing on your iphone where if you click the home button the emergency thing will yes. pop up i never answer the door Unless I know for a fact I know the person is. Not Me like too. out of fear, yeah. but I think it's mostly out of laziness. <laughs> no, like, mine's out of fear. Being like a small girl, like I can I can be, you know. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of a, a bigger guy. But um <laughs> it's like I, I just sit on the couch and the door's right there and, not, and of course the thought comes like that could be a murder, but then I just go back to sleep. <laughs> oh, dude. I literally like at this point I just never I don't answer the door, but my little brother loves answering the door. And I'm like, this is just the worst <laughs> I've, combination. I've, I've noticed every time, every time I come here, nine times at, well, nine times out of 10, it's, it's her little brother at the door. <laughs> just so excited to open to, the door with a big company. smile. Usually trying to scare us in some fashion. Very true. Well, <laughs> when we got here, just hiding behind the door. Yeah, he was going to pop out and scare you, but I don't think he was expecting two people. So when Mallory came through, he was like, dang it. <laughs> well, he started closing the door on me. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Well, and on that note, when it's already getting a little bit lighter, it's time to transition to my favorite segment on the show. Happy things. So this is the section of the show where we just talk about one good thing that happened in your week or one good thing that's going to happen next week or something like that. Uh, Just something to um, end the show positive, I guess. So do you guys want me to go first? Yes. Okay. (laughs) You can't nod on the podcast. They don't know. (laughs) I very much forgot about this part. So um i think my happy thing is that it is the last week of regular classes for me and then next week is finals and although i'm extremely stressed out i'm so excited for winter break because i love christmas with my whole heart and then over interterm i'm taking a class called true crime in the media which is going to be amazing it's only twice a week so i'll have plenty of podcast time this is true crime in the media. <laughs> this is crazy and i don't know i'm just really excited to like I take a class on something that I'm already super interested in, like see how I can improve the podcast and it'll be really fun. So I'm looking forward to like, I guess, long-term just being on break, like not having to do the daily routine. <laughs> what if they use your podcast as an example of media of involving true crime? That would be horribly uncomfortable for me to sit there. <laughs> it's already horrible things. <laughs> it's already bad enough editing this podcast, having to listen to my own voice over and over again, but <laughs> 
hearing my own voice in front of people is almost intolerable. Although I always thought I had like an extremely annoying voice, but so many people have come up to me and been like, you actually have a really good voice for podcasting that I like you start, do. have started to believe it, even though I personally find my own voice very irritating. My voice uh, is irritating. I my felt that being, being in a room full of people listening to your voice is awful. I do this little school news show thing and I make this this video where I go around embarrassing myself and other people on, uh, at the school and I'm fine embarrassing myself and like I because I'm embarrassing myself it's not embarrassing but just having my voice playing in the room and then people just like turning around looking at me like oh that's really funny and oh, it's just so the most uncomfortable thing I half the time I'm like I'm gonna step out I'm going <laughs> I'm gonna get some water yeah yeah that's so deeply un- yeah hear your own voice in front of people is just terrible <laughs> but I I've gotten way more like desensitized to it as the podcast has gone on i think it's also just like the first couple episodes i talk different than i normally do because i wasn't 100 percent comfortable yet but now i just use my normal speaking voice so it's gotten a lot more um i guess okay to listen to <laughs> mallory you would do you have a do you have a happy thing yes past week and upcoming or one or, or the other both doesn't matter i'm gonna do both because this one was really depressing uh <laughs> big yes oh i thought you meant your story your example is very depressing (laughs) because like no that's that defeats the purpose um last week was thanksgiving and that was fun because i got to see my uh grandparents and my aunt and uncle which i don't normally get to see them i usually see them like once or twice a year your grandparents are angels yes they are and then also i'm going to disneyland next weekend with my grandparents my cousins my aunt and uncle's and me Emma. <laughs> <laughs> i'm crashing the She's... i'm crashing the churchill party yeah but you know it's okay it's mallory okay. and i are gonna be i think we're all sharing a room yes me <laughs> you your mom and our friend sage no it's just me you and sage my mom's gonna be in the other room just kidding then <laughs> but almost yes she was thinking about crashing our party anyway Andrew. I've had the most boring, like nothing has happened. Like (laughs) it's been the most just nothing. Like it's just the most routine. Even though we were on break, like I didn't do anything. (laughs) And I have nothing interesting coming up until like Christmas break, which is in quite a while. So I'm, my favorite part of this, this past week is, is been being here on the podcast. Aww. Andrew sent me a meme earlier today when I was like, (laughs) see you at eight to record the podcast, whatever. (laughs) And he was like, he sent me this meme of myself running. And he was like, when Emma says, be there for the podcast or something like that. And it was just me running. And I'm like blurred on the camera. And I was like. Can you set us a thumbnail for this episode? I would if I had other thumbnails besides the art your wonderful girlfriend created. (laughs) Yeah, the one. You look like Bigfoot because you're doing the Bigfoot pose. The stance with the arm up. Yeah, I don't know when that picture was taken. I was that was I when you were recall. you were running um, away from Julia. <laughs> we have this joke because um, we have this friend Julia and and they're Emma and Julia are good friends, but we, we always all she's hang out in groups. She's been on the podcast, she episode has been seven. On the podcast. And but you never see Emma and Julia in the same room. There's like a group chat, and whenever Julia says yes to going to something, Emma has something, and and vice versa. So it was just I had to document the fact that they were both in the same room. But you can't really tell it's me because I'm blurred from running away. <laughs> <laughs> 
But yeah, those were good, happy things, guys. And on that note, so I think we're going to end the episode right there. Thank you guys so, so much for listening to this episode of Horrible Things. It was a very gruesome one and a very long episode, I'm pretty sure, but we got it all there. So um, thank you guys just again so much for listening, for sticking it through for this one. And if you want to find more Horrible Things content throughout the week, you can follow us on social media at Horrible Things Podcast. If you want to support the podcast, you can go to HorribleThings.com slash Wait, no. Patreon.com <laughs> slash horrible things. Or you can leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, I think our Twitter is horrible things P because you can't write podcasts because you can't have that many characters. But um regardless, social media, horrible things podcast. But most of all, just thank you guys so much for listening and share this podcast with your friends and family because that is really how we get new people to listen to this thing. And most importantly, always remember. To Google where you take your youth group. I've said this once and I'll say it again. Don't dump the body into the river. It's going to turn up. And most importantly, don't, don't do horrible, horrible things. things. I didn't know I was supposed to end <laughs>